0: Uh, If you're able, please stand up for the reading of God's Holy Word. We're going to read just the first ten verses of Luke 19. And hopefully I'll be able to get the order right. But after I read, I will say, this is the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God for His Word. Luke 19, verse 1. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on before and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must. Stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him rejoicingly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my possessions, O Lord, I give to the poor. And if I have extorted anyone of anything, I give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven. How wonderful is your love towards us in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we are so thankful that this great mission of your Son still continues this day, that he is still seeking, and that he is still saving the lost. And that offers us so much hope, especially as parents. Father, we would pray that our children who have just sung this happy little children's tune, would realize that there is a God who sees them. There is a God who cares about them. There is a God who loves them. There is a God who sent His only begotten Son into the world that they might not perish, but have eternal life. And Father, that offers me great hope, not only for children, but for older people. Lord, who need to become like children. Father, you are still putting camels through the eyes of needles. And I would pray, Lord, that we would not lose hope for our parents, for our siblings, for our colleagues, for our neighbors. Now, what is impossible with mere men is entirely possible with a sovereign God who has created all things good And is now restoring all things in his son to that state of very goodness. Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, the son of man would be drawing sinners to himself this morning. That they would be entering the kingdom with childlike faith. That they themselves would see themselves to be of small stature. But received with favor by a gracious and loving and tender and patient and merciful God. And Lord, if anyone this morning doubts all of these attributes, may they see them bundled up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who receives sinners, the one who seeks sinners, the one who saves sinners, the one who welcomes sinners, the one who invites and feasts with sinners. Lord, may we go out from this place proclaiming to a dark world that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he will have any who come to him. And so, Father, meet with us this morning. And I pray that as we have a glimpse afresh of the Savior, like Mary and Elizabeth, uh, like Anna and Simeon, Like even repentant Zechariah, there would be rejoicing in this house. For salvation has come. And Father, even as Jesus taught, that when one sinner repents, when he comes to himself, when she comes to herself, there is rejoicing not just amongst the people of God. There is not only rejoicing in the throne room of heaven, there is rejoicing on the very throne of God. And so Father, we pray, would you rejoice this morning as your Son, as the true Shepherd of Israel draws... And saves sinners, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning, we sort of meet Jesus in his last stop before Jerusalem. And perhaps you're tired of this, but that's okay. I'll keep reminding you that there is a large section. The meat of the section of Luke, chapters 9 through 19, is Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. The new section begins with Jesus setting his face like a flint, to quote the prophet Isaiah. He's setting his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He has a mission. And that mission has just been articulated in the previous chapter where Jesus reminds his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Not because there's a nice stay for him there, because there's a, a, a nice little restaurant he needs to revisit. It's not because he has family he needs to visit so much, but because he has a divine mission where he must go to Jerusalem and he must be rejected by the established religious elites and he must be handed over to the Gentiles and he must be mocked and he must be flogged and he must be spat upon and he must be rejected and he must be hung upon a cross and he must be raised from the dead on the third day. He must go to Jerusalem. Because as he taught, it is in Jerusalem where salvation will flow out of. And so if this helps you, Luke and Acts is all about geography. Jesus goes to Jerusalem to procure salvation for his people. And then the book of Acts is about salvation going forth from Jerusalem through his people. But before Acts, first Luke, I must go to Jerusalem. And so as it were... He is trekking, and we are trekking along with him, and he is teaching his disciples what discipleship is like. This is what it's going to be like as you proclaim the kingdom while I am gone, as I'm preparing for my return. And we saw last week this fancy word chiasm. I'm going to keep just repeating it, because eventually you'll be able to, to repeat and regurgitate such fancy terms to show off no... But so you can interpret your Bibles better, and a chiasm is A-B-C-B-A, or A-B-B-A. And it's a Jewish way of explaining that there's a central thrust, a central truth that we need to fix on. And last week I told you, the, the chiasm of this final section is, you must become like children. Okay, and so we have pictures of what it is like to become like a child and enter the kingdom. And then we also have pictures of what it is like to not be childlike, and to reject and not enter the kingdom. And so last week we saw the rich young ruler. He is not an example of childlike faith. He is still relying upon himself. He is not willing to come to Christ on Christ's terms. Well, this morning we are going to see again what it looks like to enter the kingdom. It is Zacchaeus becoming childlike. This has nothing to do with age, but everything to do with a humble, receptive heart, of course, that God himself has prepared But I want you to see that Zacchaeus is the picture of a child who receives the free gift of salvation. The child who receives God's grace. The child who is not trying to earn salvation. The child who is not saying, look at how great I am. The child who who realizes I have nothing to give. All I can do is receive God's grace as a free gift. Well, that's Zacchaeus. We move from outside of Jericho, that's the blind man named Bartimaeus. I am quickly skipping over that because we are gone next week and I wanted to close off this section with Zacchaeus. But look at 1835. Jesus is approaching Jericho. This is something you might want to do as you read through Luke sometime. I, I did it in my notes, and, and from 9 through 19, you just sort of, you know, you got your little map going on, and, and he's far, and then he's getting close, and he's approaching, and then he enters, and then he's passing through, and then he's passing past Jerusalem. And, and he's about to enter Jericho, and there's a, a blind man. And in my Bible, what I've done is I've underlined blind repeatedly, because it is a key concept. It's a key concept not only in Luke, it's also in Mark and in John. That there, there is a blindness that must be overcome. That, that there is the impediment of a man who wants to come to Jesus, but he can't see him. Okay, So, so we have a, a, a physical impediment of blindness in Bartimaeus that must be overcome. And Jesus, as God, as the Son of David, as the Messianic Savior, is able to overcome that. He is able to give sight to Bartimaeus that he might see Christ and follow him. And there is spiritual application. Go and read Mark 8. Mark's even more clear. That the disciples need to see Jesus rightly before they can follow him. That Jesus, as the son of David, as the conquering king, is going to suffer. He's just explained that. I'm going as the son of man. Oh, like Daniel 7, to come and to judge? Yes, yes. But the Son of Man must go as it is written of Him, and He must die on the cross. And for us to understand that that is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as the suffering servant, we need to have our eyes opened. In conversion and in sanctification. See, the disciples need to realize this. As blind as Bartimaeus is physically, so is Zacchaeus spiritually. Zacchaeus also has a sight impediment. He needs to see Jesus. And Jesus is able to overcome that. So here's Jesus approaching Jericho. Now understand there's a great retinue with him. There's a great caravan. There's a great crowd. And as you read through this, you see that the crowd is is building. It's growing because Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the last time. This is the third time if you're following in in John's Gospel. And this is the Passover that he must enact. And, and, And as he's moving on towards Jerusalem... As he's getting closer, he's increasingly revealing himself. He did not rebuke uh, Bartimaeus. When he's a son of David, he didn't say, shh, quiet. Now, early in his ministry, he's like, don't let people know. But now as he's about to enter into Jerusalem, as he passes through Jericho into Jerusalem, mounted on a lowly donkey, fulfilling Solomon, people are beginning to buzz, and the crowd is getting bigger. He heals this man. He receives The title, Son of David. He bestows mercy unwaveringly upon him. He heals the man in fulfillment of Isaiah. Isaiah. That, that, That this Messiah is going to cross over into the promised land. He's going to cross over the Jordan. And he is going to bring sight to the blind. He's going to bring healing for the lame. He is going to preach the good news to the poor. This is Jesus. And he is now receiving these titles. And so when it says he entered Jericho, there's a big crowd with him. There's, there's a buzz. Jericho in Jesus' time is not the same Jericho of the Old Testament. Right? You know the story in the book of Joshua. They circle it around for seven days and the walls collapse. Well, Jericho of Jesus' time had been rebuilt by Herod, and it was the paradise of Palestine. Okay, you can read about this. I'm not gonna get into all the historic. Historical stuff, but, but this, is, this was the most sought-after place to live in, in that region. It, it, was, it was nice in a fertile valley. Uh, there had the aqueducts. There were trees flowing everywhere. This was the primary trade route. This is where you could get rich. This is where it was nice and warm. This is where I would like to move come October. I don't like cold. And this was the warmest, most humid, um, most uh, flourishing place you could live. And Jesus is entering. And you think he's going to pass through, but we're going to realize that he has a mission. And his mission will be accomplished in Jerusalem, but his mission also requires him to be seeking and saving on his way to Jerusalem. So here is Jesus. It says he entered Jericho. Okay, and, and you can see here that, there, that if you have a map at the back of your Bible, that he's entering from the northeast and he's crossing over the Jordan, and that's theologically significant. Okay, I'm not going to get into it. That's theologically significant. Jesus is about to enact a new Exodus, and he's leading, as it were, as the new Joshua, the people following him in his train into the Promised Land, where he is going to receive his throne. And verse two, it says, "And behold, see, see." Luke is a Gentile, but he sure speaks a lot like a Jew you remember when we studied Genesis last year behold it's this Jewish way of saying something about something, something significant is about to happen it sort of grabs you by the collar and says listen now right? so he's passing through and we we're following him in our mind's eye and there's this, this large group of people following him a crowd and all of a sudden a character is introduced to us there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus interesting name it comes from the Hebrew verb zachach. And in Hebrew, if you, if you put it into different ends, you take off the second C, the koth. And so it's zak-i, my just one, my pure one. And as we're going to see, Luke is full of irony. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, we're going to see that at this moment, Zacchaeus is anything but pure. He is anything but just. He is anything but righteous. However, by the time the story is done he will be fitting of his name. And I can only think of his parents naming him. Names had significance in the the Old Testament and in the New. And you can imagine the parents, godly parents, saying, oh, that he might be pure, that he might be my pure one, that he might be our just one. And the tragedy of seeing this this one born into the world, perhaps with some kind of, of debilitating disease. I don't know why. Luke mentions he's short, but Luke rarely mentions um, features of people. And so this stands out. And so here we are. Jesus is about to get to, to Jerusalem, right? Children, get away. we got to get to Jerusalem. Jesus has to, to get his kingdom. And Jesus is willing to stop for children. Jesus is willing to stop for hurting short men. Jesus is willing to stop for sinners, now, he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Very emphatic in the Greek. Now, we saw in chapter 18 that tax collectors were hated, but tax collectors could be saved. And so Luke is telling us here, not only is he a tax collector, he's an architelones. Arch, right? An archangel, or an fiend, or an arch fill-in-the-blank. Not only is he ripping off his own people, he is actually ripping off people who rip off his own people. That's unbelievable. Right? Like, like, He he owns, as it were, the primary trading route. Right? Like if, if stuff is coming in from a place called Perea, that's just northeast of Palestine, and and you're in this fertile area full of aromatic spice and gum, not chewing gum, but, but gum, Right and trees and everything you need, and this is the primary way by which caravans come in. If you can control that, right? And it's like it's like back in World War II, If you can control the English Channel, you rule the world, right? You you can't sneak across other borders. This isn't you know you like in the United States where people are sneaking wherever they want. You got to get through this way. And if you can gouge people coming in, and if you can set up shop. And then then so prosper that you actually have underlings under you? This guy's exceedingly rich. And if you're paying attention, you remember from the previous chapter that people wondered, can rich people get saved? I guess not. To which Jesus reminded us: what is impossible with man is possible with God. This guy's not just rich, this guy's super rich. And he's not just a tax collector, he's not just a sinner. He is a super sinner. He is an ark sinner. This guy would have been more depl- I can imagine, you know, two Jewish guys just seeing, you know, they're they're sitting there doing something Jewish back then, I don't know, playing chess, let's say. And, you know, they see the tax collectors, you know, and Simeon says uh, to Mark, Boy, I hate those tax collectors. And then this skulking little sinner named Zacchaeus walks by, he's like, but I really hate that guy. but Zacchaeus though he is a chief tax collector and though he is exceedingly rich it seems to me that he is exceedingly miserable we're not told all the details but we see in verse 3 that Zacchaeus was seeking I don't know why the LSB put trying there's so many word plays I was just telling Josh Zacchaeus is seeking. That, that's the Greek word here in verse 3. It's the exact same Greek verb in verse 10. So, so you need to see. There's seeing and seeking. And, and Zacchaeus is trying to see. He's trying to seek. And, and, and Luke in, in, in brilliant narrative says, You think Zacchaeus is seeking? You think he's trying to seek? The Son of Man is the one who's actually seeking in this. Not Zacchaeus. But before we get there, I've got to work through the text, so just bear with me and be patient. And Zacchaeus is seeking to see. And so I have lines drawn up to verses 41, 42, and 43 of the previous chapter. And Bartimaeus needs to see. right? There's something he needs. He's desperate. And Christ in his mercy grants sight, physical sight, to this man named Bartimaeus. And what we see this morning is Zacchaeus needs more than physical sight. His eyes work very well at a physical level. Zacchaeus needs to see who Christ is with spiritual eyes. And moving from the last to the greater, if Jesus heals this at a physical level, Luke reminds us that Jesus is still opening up blind eyes at a spiritual level. That's great hope. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was not able. Same Greek word? As in chapter 18 where Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So I underline that. I'm just trying to teach you. Read your Bibles with with pens and and, and pencil crayons and markers and all kinds of things. And circle and draw lines. The word of God is wonderful. And so when I was reading this, there's an inability at the human level. But my mind is saying, but not at the divine level. Zacchaeus can't see. My children can't see. My neighbors can't see. But God can cause them to. And so like the importunate widow, which started this little journey, we're coming to the just judge. We're coming. I want you to see that That in all of these vignettes, all of these little you know, snapshots, these, these pictures, these scenes, these personal profiles, that it's not so much seeing the widow, Not so much seeing children or tax collectors or rich young rulers or Zacchaeus. It's seeing who Christ is. This is the heart of God. It's great to see the heart of Zacchaeus. But what we need to see is God's great love for sinners. Whether a widow or a tax collector or a wee little man who is hated and castigated and rejected. So here's Jesus with his, his, his disciples, a large crowd following him, picking up steam. There's, there's, there's lots of word going around. There's, there's not only the beautiful smell of aromatics in the air, there's the smell of hope. Could it be that this son of David is coming into Jerusalem? All of our hopes and all of our dreams, he, he's building his kingdom, he's setting it up. And then here comes this little runt and he's ruining everything. No, he's not. He's seeking to see who Jesus is. Meaning what? He's heard. He's maybe not seen him, but he's heard. Remember, he, he is the ark tax collector. So he has tax collectors working under him. And just bear with me, but I have an imagination, and I don't know if it's a good one, but you know, he's sort of collecting his dues from his guys, and, and one of them comes and says, Hey, that amazing teacher you know, who's healing lepers and healing blind people, I heard the most astounding thing with my own ears. He told a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector like us. And he said that in the story, that it was this religious person who was so infatuated and consumed with himself, and he prayed to himself, and he had all this stuff to offer God, that the Pharisee actually left not justified, but that Jesus will justify. And he will save and welcome and eat with and forgive the violence of sinners like us. Like, like us tax collectors. And could you imagine Zacchaeus? Maybe there is hope for a sinner such as I. I want to go check this out to see if the rumors are true. And so there's a curiosity. There's a curiosity. He wants to just see who Jesus is. And as we get to the end of the story, we're going to see that he gets more than he bargained for. We might put in the words of his mouth to him, More than all in thee I find. I don't know what Zacchaeus was looking for that day. Maybe he was looking for forgiveness. Maybe he was just inquisitive. Maybe there's a curiosity. He just wanted to see what people were talking about. Maybe he needed compassion. Right? Not only were tax collectors despised and not allowed into the synagogue, or they they weren't even allowed into the precincts of the temple, how much more an ark, telones, an ark tax collector... The richest, most lonely, miserable man in the world. And God is, I think, working in his heart. And he wants to see who Jesus is. And unfortunately, there is an impediment. There's actually two. There's the large crowd and his short stature. And, and the crowd in here is, is sort of a foil. The crowd is always working against actually Jesus getting to his people. Right? Whether they're rebuking parents, stop bringing your kids Bartimaeus, beat it! The the crowd is seen as an impediment. And so also is his short stature. Let your eyes look down in verse 3. He was seeking to see who Jesus is, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And I can identify, stand behind Anthony. There's a reason we're sitting in the front row now. (laughs) you got some seven-foot Goliath giant standing in front of you. I can't see the words. That's an impediment. And so this this resourceful man, who I think has probably climbed the rungs of society by his ingenuity, right? He's probably a a self-made man. He's probably very clever, practical. He's able to to find good deals. He's able to, as it were, save himself, pull himself up by his short little bootstraps. He he has an idea, right? A a little plot is formed in his mind, verse four. And he ran on before. So, So this is easy to see, trajectory. Here's Jesus walking slowly because there's children, there's people who want to be uh, touched by him, and he sees that they're walking through, and Zacchaeus, remember, he knows the trade route. right? He knows that especially around Passover, lots of people come, and he can get extra rich because he's going to be taxing all, of the, all the stuff coming through, and, and he knows the trade route. He knows probably where all the trees are, and he climbs a sycamore tree. And the scholars that I read likened it to a a stunted oak tree with low-hanging branches, okay? And so, so it's this wide tree, great for shade, not as big as an oak. It's got, got lot, lots of low-hanging branches so a short guy like Zacchaeus can, can climb up. And so, so he ran. That's important. Because as you remember perhaps from Luke 15, running was an undignified action for rich people, right? It's not like, okay, I'm going to put on, like, you know, my track pants and run, Right, that they had their their, for lack of better terms, dress, and they'd have to gird up their dress and run, and they'd be showing their legs. My kids always think that's funny when I tell the story, you know, of the father having to gird up and running. That's, that's shameful, right? Maybe he didn't have a nice tanned legs. Maybe his legs were flabby. Maybe they were right, but he doesn't care. And this is what happens now. He he is putting aside all propriety, and he is willing, as a rich man, to shamefully run ahead. Hey, everyone's walking, and it's like, here's Zacchaeus, you know, dropping elbows, trying to get to the front. Out of my way, there's that tree. It says he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order, and here it is again, to see him. For he was about to pass through that way. Exact same verb in verse 1. Jesus is passing through. And Zacchaeus says, I can't let him pass through without seeing him. There's this resolve. And by God's grace... Some of these physical impediments to seeing Jesus are removed. Right? He gets ahead of the crowd, climbs up the tree. Okay, I can see him now. Of course, there's a much more spiritual impediment that must be removed. But let's get to verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place. Don't you love that? What's the place? Now, I'm reading into it. But I would say that there is this immutable will within the triune God that Jesus as the obedient son comes to fulfill. And just as Jesus must needs pass through Samaria, John chapter four, so must needs he stop at this tree. And from all eternity past, this is me again being imaginative, God saw that there would be a tree planted there and that no one would cut it down, that disease or, or anything would, would remove the tree. That This tree had been predestined for this little man to climb it, to have just the right heighted branches, to have just the right perspective for for this little man to see Jesus. Jesus came to the place. Pastor, you're reading into it. Okay, well, maybe I am. But he comes to this place, to that place. And and Zacchaeus is doing all the looking. But verse 5, someone else does the looking. It's very interesting. It says that Jesus looked up. the exact same Greek word used in verse 41, 42, and 43 of chapter 18. Bartimaeus, what do you want? Anna I want to look up. I want to see from above. Anna, to see. To see above. I want sight from above. And a wonderful thing here is, we have Zacchaeus, as it were, with a horizontal sight, and here now we have a vertical sight. I think that's what Luke is doing intentionally under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes to the place... He's busy. He's got lots going on. He's got the inward turmoil of knowing what's happening in Jerusalem in just a short time. But he also has a divine appointment that he must keep. He's better than Gandalf. Gandalf is never late or early. He's precisely where he needs to be at that precise time. That's fun in a movie, but how much more reassuring it is when it's God in flesh... And so here's Zacchaeus with all of his anxieties and all of his problems and all of his longings and he's looking up and amazingly, just try to, I'm trying my best to paint. I'm not a good painter, but I'm trying my best to slow it down and just imagine the scene. And the son of man, he looks up and he says to him, Zacchaeus, pure one, righteous one. And in Hebrew, when you have that yod at the very end, it means my, my pure one, my just one, my righteous one. Hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Hurry. No lollygagging. Like John Calvin, in his little motto, he says, my heart I offer to you promptly and sincerely. No dilly-dallying. No burying your father, who's done. No dealing with, with sales. Right? Remember that? Let me go first do this. And Jesus says, let them do that. You follow me. And there's this wonderful, irresistible gaze of God that irresistibly draws the elect, whether it's fishermen casting nets, whether it's Levi the tax collector who follows him, or whether it's now Zacchaeus. I don't know what it looked like. One day we will look upon his face and we will see that look in his eye and we will know. And so the eye's locked, I would think. And Jesus looks at him. He says, hurry up. You ran? You you were quick to run to get up that tree? Be even more quick to get down that tree. But my legs might be exposed. My my undergarments might be... That's alright. He's not thinking about that. He sees Jesus and he will offer swift obedience. But before we get to verse 6, there's some interesting things happening. Zacchaeus hurry and come down. For. Right? There's a reason. And Jesus is like, yeah, you know, I need a good laugh right now. Zacchaeus, climb down, climb up. No, Jesus is not like that. Because for today. And I've underlined that. That's a very significant work word story for Luke in his gospel. Today. And if you were to do a little word search for the word today or the the Greek words um, um, hameron, you you would understand that it has to do with with receiving salvation according to God's timetable. Okay? And so this is very important. Hurry and come down for today. Starting all the way at the beginning of Luke, seeing that salvation has dawned today in Messiah. And so as you're reading through Luke, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. Today, something's happening. Something about, something amazing is about to happen. For today, I must. And I circled the word must. Luke loves this word. Dei, D-E-I in the Greek. And he uses it more than any other author to show that Jesus has a, a divine plan. That everything's happening according to a divine timetable. I must. It's not like, ah, you know, I'm a little tired. Maybe we'll see what Zacchaeus is doing. Right, when he says I must stay in your house... It's not because he's looking for a bed. Maybe so much more is happening. Okay? He could easily get to Jerusalem. It's not that far. Right? Like the road between Jericho and Jerusalem, it's a well-traveled one. Yes, there's robbers, chapter 10, but Jesus can easily get there, no problem. So he's not looking for a free meal. He's not looking for free room and board. He's not seeking to get something. He's seeking to give something. For today, underlined, I must, highlighted like crazy, I must abide. I must remain. I must stay at your house. And I love what happens in the divine calling. Zacchaeus doesn't ask a lot of questions. He doesn't think, oh no, the house is a mess. Jesus tells him to do something. And from the heart, he obeys. Verse 6. Same Greek words in verse 5 as verse 6, which commentators say is emphasizing, highlighting... Um, Zacchaeus' precise obedience hurry up, come down he hurried up and came down some of us need to hear that sometimes we're like I'll take the first one but not the second one I'll modify it nope Zacchaeus knows he's hated and he's now been singled out and he puts all of that aside because he has seen the Savior and he hurried and came down and received him That's a word that's used in the Gospels of faith. He received him gladly. I don't like that translation. You probably notice I I read it a little differently. In Luke, this word means to rejoice. And this verb is used in rejoicing when salvation has come through Messiah. Starting with the songs in chapter 1 all throughout. The rejoicing that happens among the angels in heaven three times in Luke 15. Same Greek word. So, so gladly is good. Rejoicing is accurate. He's not like, oh, this is good. He is rejoicing. Why? Because he has been saved. This is the rejoicing that accompanies belief and salvation. He hurried down. He's not dilly-dallying with the Messiah. Can I say this morning? I pray, we pray, that as the gospel is preached, God would so open up the eyes Of unbelievers, they wouldn't even care what their parents think. They wouldn't care what their neighbors think, their co workers think. They would obey Christ and come to Him in faith, rejoicingly. And I pray that we as believers would do that as well. What is it that caused Zacchaeus to hurry and come down in obedience? A glimpse of the Savior. That doesn't just happen at conversion, by the way. That is your sanctification, believer. Are are you having a hard time giving something up? Zacchaeus is about to be incredibly generous. He is about to become for us an example of how to live with riches. He is about to go above and beyond the letter of the law. What is it that that opens his hand? He's clenching riches. He's willing to hoop his neighbors. He's willing to rip them off and scheme and do all kinds of wicked things, he's willing to do that because he now loves money more than anything else. You need to have a treasure that surpasses that. Right? Or, or as Thomas Trommel says, the expulsive power of a greater affection. What will, what will cure you from your love of money or your, your love of comfort or your love of fill in the blank? Whatever God is laying on your heart. You know, whatever is your functional idol, we might call it. Not just for Zacchaeus, but this is for Ryan Case. This is for you, struggling. The Lord is like, I want you to give something up. He's like, it's a hard deal. You need to see the Lord Jesus the way Zacchaeus did. You don't need to climb a sycamore tree. I get it. But you need to, as it were, meet the Savior at a tree, and he must open your eyes to see him rightly. For today I must abide. I love that Greek word. That's John 15, by the way. I must abide, stay, remain in your house. I'm not just coming for a, you know, not an eat and run. This word has to do with identifying with sinners. And he hurried and came down and received him with rejoicing. That's the telltale sign of conversion, by the way. Joy inexpressible, filled with gladness. If you can't rejoice, at the thought of having your sins forgiven, I would ask you to question your salvation. Oh, pastors, you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying what the Bible says. I get it. I have bad days. I'm not rejoicing 24-7. I get it. But I would say that, that, that the, the the response to such grace and lavish love, to undeserved, wretched, vile, ark sinners, is rejoicing. So we see Zacchaeus seeing Jesus, Jesus seeing Zacchaeus, but there's now another, as it were, character seeing. It's the Oclos. That's the crowd. And when they saw it, do you see that in in, in verse 7? And when they saw it, so, so Zacchaeus sees, present tense, rejoicing. They see, present idea, Grumbling. Anyone want to take a guess at what that Greek word is? Gungusmu. Gungusmu is the noun, and that's what Charles, right? Everyone remembered Gungusmu. If you get a cow, you name them Gungus, because then you say Gungusmu-ing. So this is the verb, and it's gungudzo. But it's not just gungudzo. It's dia and in Greek, whenever you add a preposition to a verb, it intensifies it. It's only used twice in the New Testament, here and in Luke 15, where the Pharisees, they look at the sinners that Jesus is eating with, and they are super grumbling. So Zacchaeus is super rejoicing, and this is not just like a, a little grumble. Right? If you've got kids, you want to see this? Give one of your kids who doesn't deserve it something good, something great, And and see how they respond. You'll see gongudzo. And if it's something really awesome that they love, you'll see dia gongudzo. And that's what's going on here. You have one seeing and rejoicing. You have others seeing and grumbling. What are they grumbling? Gongudzo. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now we've heard that. we've heard this word used repeatedly. We're not surprised that Jesus sits and sups with sinners. And here they are, excited that Jesus is bringing the kingdom. But they're just not excited that he's bringing his kingdom. He has gone to be the guest. And that word has this idea of acceptance and identification. Back, right? You have someone eat at your house. You're saying you are welcome here. You would, you would never have someone stay at your house who might tarnish your reputation. But this is what Jesus is willing to do. He's willing to have his reputation tarnished that he might lavish such sinners with such mercy. So here they are. And Jesus has, I would assume, now entered into the residence of, of this rich tax collector. And again, just imagine, like he's one of the richest guys you can imagine. So I would imagine he's probably got wonderful incense burning, he's probably got all kinds of accoutrements, all kinds of fancy eatery and all kinds of uh, everything you can imagine. And here they are eating. And Zacchaeus hears something that hurts his heart. Because he knows it to be true. He he knows that the Jews call him a sinner look, not only is conversion accompanied by great rejoicing and joy, it's also accompanied by great confession. Right? This is what what repentance looks like. You remember in chapter 3, maybe you don't, John the Baptist, people are coming to be baptized by him, and he says you need to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And he gives some practical illustrations of what repentance looks like. And if you look at this, this this is very similar to chapter 3. Zacchaeus is like Exhibit A. This is what repentance looks like. It's not like, I was having a sad day and, you know, just asked him into my heart. Maybe, but I don't see that. This is a radically renovated and changed man. Verse 8 But Zacchaeus stopped. The word means to stand. It's the same Greek word used in Luke 18 where the publican stands praying in the outskirts of the temple. It's the same word that the Pharisee, he stands. And so here is this short little rejected man who has now tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He stands. He probably has been ashamed to stand in public a lot. right? If he's vertically challenged, he probably doesn't like doing that very often. He's probably the butt end of a ton of jokes, but he has seen Jesus, and he does not care what others think. But standing Zacchaeus Said to the Lord. I've highlighted that in all yellow. He sees who Jesus is. Yes, he is son of David, but he is Lord. Right? Verse 41 What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus says, Lord, that I might see. Next section, literally, we see that as sight is restored to Zacchaeus, he doesn't say, Jesus. He addresses him as Lord. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, behold. That's the same word as verse 2. Behold. Something awesome is about to happen. Half of my possessions, not half of my income. Half of my possessions that I've worked ruthlessly for. That I have probably done some really shady deals to acquire. I've probably hurt a lot of people. I've probably ruined a lot of futures. To acquire all these possessions, half of them you get. As I give them to the poor. Behold, half of my possessions, curia, Lord, I am giving to the poor. This is a present tense of resolve. This is what happens when someone is converted. They make resolutions. Oh, it's just Jonathan Edwards. No, no, no. This is a Christian thing. When you taste of the Lord's goodness, all of those previous idols, they lose their flavor. And so he's willing and desiring and resolving to give half of his income. No, half of his possessions. And if he is a super rich guy, that's a lot. Money doesn't have a hold of him like the rich young ruler. And if I have extorted any one of anything, I will give back four times as much. I'm not going to go there. Just read Exodus 22. Right? Where Moses in the law is explaining how thieves are to repay those. From whom they have stolen. Four to five times as much. What is Zacchaeus doing here? He is confessing his guilt. I was a thief. This is what you call a first class condition. Not maybe I've wronged some people. I have wronged people. He is owning his sin. This is what repentance is. He's not passing the buck. He's not making excuses. Lord you see me. You know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner but I have tasted and seen that you are good and I will display that I have repented by fruits that accompany my confession. And so he's willing to give up half of his possessions and he's willing to give back four times as much that he's stolen. Now imagine, i know how old is the case? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just Johnny New on the scene. But imagine if you've been robbing people for 20 years. Repentance is exceedingly costly. It's the free gift of God. Please hear me out. God grants repentance. But it don't make it easy. What do you need to repent of? Do you need to maybe call someone and apologize? Have you robbed someone of their dignity by slander or gossip? Have you ripped someone off? I don't know. But if you're a professing Christian your repentance will have much weight to it and substance. Remember, this is the guy rejoicing. He receives Jesus gladly. And I don't think he's murmuring your gungudzing. I'm giving it up. Uh, You know what the text that came to my mind is? Matthew 13. Right? There's the story of a man who's just wandering as it were in a field and he stumbles over something. What is this? Go grabs a spade, digs up. Oh, somebody buried, right? They don't have... Right? Bitcoin and and, and other unreliable kinds of investments. And, you know, they would, no one caught that. So they would dig and they would hide their treasure and maybe, you know, the wind eroded the soil. And all of a sudden he finds someone's treasure and he's like, this is a good investment. And so he sells all that he has to buy that land and he does so rejoicingly. And Jesus is saying that's what the kingdom of God is like. I don't think Zacchaeus rejoiced to receive Jesus as it were, or to be received. Right? I don't think he's just rejoicing over the fact that his sins are forgiven. He's rejoicing to give up his possessions if necessary, in obedience to the Lord. Right? Verse 6 is not yes! And then verse 8 is like, meh. I think this is all done rejoicingly. Verse 9. And Jesus said to him. So now Jesus is also making a public declaration. Not only to Zacchaeus, but to the crowd and perhaps Pharisees who are listening. Today. Remember, he says, I must come to your house today. That in the, the, the foreknowledge, in the preordained mind and will of God, that on this very day, at that very moment, at that very second, Zacchaeus would receive salvation. I must go through Jericho. Why? Because today is the day Zacchaeus comes home. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Verse 42 of chapter 18. Just bear with me. And Jesus said to Bartimaeus, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. And so I think Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus have a lot more in common. One might be blind. One might be short. I get it. But they both receive sight, they both believe, they are both saved, they both follow Christ. This is the salvation that Mary sang of that has come to the people of Israel in the person of Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today's salvation has come to this house. Isn't this wonderful? You're like, no, I thought Jesus came to the house. Exactly. See, salvation isn't just some kind of impersonal transaction. Salvation is a person. You're you're not just saved by Christ, you're saved in Christ. The Lord is my salvation. He doesn't just give us, here Sam, catch some salvation. Oh, you dropped it. No, I receive me. To receive Christ is to receive salvation. To be in Christ is to be saved. What What a wonderful word picture. Christ comes into his house. And yes, you can go there to Revelation 3. I know you're going to get into, oh, don't go Armenian on me. The Lord Jesus Christ, he wants to dine with sinners. He wants, as it were, in to their life. He wants an inroad into everything that they are. And know that I pray that there would be those being so influenced and moved upon by the Holy Spirit this morning that they would say, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. You are welcome in my house. You're welcome to come and be Lord of my life. You're, you're welcome here. Today salvation has come to this house. And I got my little arrows rocking. I'm a nerd. Because for this one. Right? It's in fact. I know I keep saying this, but when you see in verse 2, it uses this word autos. Right, it's where you get autonomy from. Autos in Greek means self. Nomos means law. So autonomous means a law to yourself. Your self-lawing. And when it says in verse 2, it says autos, rich. Autos, archai, tax collector. This is his identity. This is who he is. He's a rich, super tax collector. He is a super sinner. That's not how Luke ends. What is his identity at the beginning? Very different at the end. It's not Zacchaeus. The short guy, not Zacchaeus, the rich guy, not Zacchaeus, the unjust, impure guy. It is Zacchaeus, the son of Abraham. Just love these verbal links. It's all in the text. The salvation promised to Abraham that began to work through Old Testament redemptive history has found its culmination in the person of Christ. And the Pharisees would say, no, tax collectors, they are not Israelites. They have, they have reneged their privilege. And the only one whose opinion matters, whose declaration matters, says, this one, he too is a son of Abraham. I would encourage you, again, because of time, read Romans 4 and Galatians 3. Paul makes a very big deal about who the true sons of Abraham are. God can easily make stones into... Children of Abraham. Well, if he can make a stone into a child of Abraham, he can definitely do it with a sinner like Zacchaeus and like you and like me. He is an heir of the kingdom through faith in Christ. You too can become a son of Abraham. You know what? Time. I'm off next week. You're going to get all of me that you can today. Go to Romans four. You need to see this. It's like when when you eat so much, you'll be you'll be like, okay, done. He comes back in four weeks from now. I'm still done with him. Verse 1. What then, Romans 4, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, is found? Now Paul's trying to explain that that, that the Gentiles are becoming heirs of Abraham through faith. Nathan quoted in his prayer. The gospel is good news. It is the power of God for all who believe. First to the Jew and then to the Greek. Right? The Zacchaeus is a Jew. I get it. But Jews need to become Jews, and you become, as it were, an offspring of Abraham, not by by, by natural, hereditary, um, you know, genetic passing on. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. You, you don't get it naturally. You become a child of Abraham, a son of Abraham, supernaturally. Go down to verse nine. Is the blessing of Abraham on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised? For we say, faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Okay, and then look at verse 14. For those who are of the law are heirs. Faith has been made empty, and the promise has been abolished. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no trespass. For this reason, it is by faith. In order that it, the promise, may be according to grace. See, naturally, you could say Zacchaeus is an Israelite. But not all Israel is Israel. But by grace now. Whether Jew or Gentile now in the new covenant, the promise will be guaranteed to all the seed, all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, Jew, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, the father of many nations have I made you. Galatians 3 says it even more clearly. This man, through faith in Messiah, is the seed, is the son of Abraham. The kingdom belongs to such as these. Verse 10, and we'll close here. If you were to read many, many, many books on overviews, even a good study Bible, they, most scholars say that verse 10 summarizes the book of Luke. So this is a good one for kids to memorize. It's a good one for adults to memorize. Starts with the word For. Everything leading up to this, his, his as it were serendipitous stop in Jericho. No, no, no. The son has a divine mission. And what is that mission? To be found by those who seek? No, there's no one who seeks. Right? Paul getting that from David in the Psalms. No one seeks. Why, why all this? Why, why stopping with Levi? Why stopping with Bartimaeus? Why stopping with children? Why stopping with, with, with uh, Zacchaeus? Why stopping with Ryan? Why stopping with you? Why? Why? For the Son of Man came. Same Greek word as salvation came to this house. The Son of Man came to be seeking and to be saving the lost. Wonderful. Whether it's the lost coin, or whether it's the lost sheep, or whether it's the lost brother, this is why they're found. This is why the woman is sweeping like crazy. This is why the good shepherd goes out after the one. This is why the father runs to his son. Do you see the heart of God? This is his mission. His mission is not to make you happy and healthy and wealthy, those might be benefits, I get it. But what is the mission of Jesus? To seek and to save the lost. Let me quickly apply this. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man. Let your eyes roll up now to verse 31 of the previous chapter. This is intentional. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save lost. How does he come and seek and save lost? If Jesus doesn't die in Jerusalem, Zacchaeus is not saved in Jericho. And I am not saved in Lethbridge. He took the twelve aside who have some vision problems, right? He's got a sort of when I mean, you go to the optometrist and they're, you know, tch, 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 you know, they keep adding on just to see how weak your eyes are. That's what Jesus is doing with the disciples. He's constantly adding an increased lens to help them see more clearly. He took the twelve aside and he said to them, Behold, there's that word again. We are going up to Jericho. No, he says, We are going up to Jerusalem. I must needs stop in Jericho. Jerusalem is my destination. And all Things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man. They will be completed. When he cries, Telestai on the cross, that's the same Greek word. They will be completed. They will be finished. And all that we see happening to him in Jerusalem is necessary for him to seek and to save the lost. This is a a nice, tear-jerking, heartwarming story of him calling a short little man out of a tree to receive salvation. But Zacchaeus will not receive salvation in that tree in Jericho unless the Son of Man is hung upon a different tree in Jerusalem. It's wonderful stuff. Are you lost? That's how you know you have sight. You need to see yourself as a lost one. Is the spirit working? Do you, receive, do, you, do you realize that you're a lost, ruined, helpless, childlike sinner? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Children? Do you realize that you're lost apart from Christ? That you're not born into the kingdom any more than a Jew was born into the kingdom as a son of Abraham? That your parents might be offspring of Abraham through faith, but you need to become one by faith as well. I can only pray that God is so working in your life the way he must have been working in Zacchaeus. And I pray, parents pray, that Christ would give your children this curiosity. That they would to have, have a desire of this compassionate Christ. That they would want to see him. And that seeing him, they would trade everything in the world gladly, rejoicingly for him. Perhaps you feel lost. Perhaps you feel like Zacchaeus, that everyone hates you. No one will receive you. You're a spiritual hermit, a spiritual leper. No one wants anything to do with you. Not even churchy people. I don't know. You feel absolutely lost. This verse, I hope, encourages you. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I pray he's seeking people in this auditorium this morning. And I pray that he's saving people in this auditorium. I pray that he's giving sight. That they might see him, believe him, and follow him. Let me apply this. I have one thing. One thing. This is application for us as believers. If you're an unbeliever, oh, come to the Savior. He will gladly abide with you. He will gladly dine with you. Identify with you. He will have you. But for believers, when it says... That the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's the picture of a shepherd. And the text that came to my mind was Ezekiel 34. And it's the picture of of God heartbroken over over the straying nature of his people. And so he promises through Ezekiel. You can read about this in Ezekiel 34. It's a rebuke to the false shepherds where God says, Enough's enough, I'm coming to shepherd. And I want you to understand the nature of the triune God is a shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so here, clearly, the Son identifies himself as that shepherd who goes after the lost. Is that just in his earthly ministry? Is he done now? Right? His mission is to go to Jerusalem. It's accomplished. It is finished. Right? The Lamb of God slain for the sins of his people. Done. Now, I would say now, that that seeking and saving prerogative of the divine shepherd is now carried out by God the Holy Spirit. It's not just Jesus. It's not like, hey, I'm the shepherd of the three. Father, Spirit, I got this. You don't understand the Trinity if you're thinking that way. That all the divine attributes are equal within the personages of the Trinity. That the Father is a seeking, saving God. And the Son is a seeking, saving God. And the Spirit Is a seeking, saving God. Meaning what? If you're a Christian here this morning, indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit, being conformed into the image of Christ, the Son of God, you too will have an increasing burden to, like Jesus, go out seeking and saving. Now, you're not doing it, but you will be shepherd like, going out after the straying sheep, proclaiming the gospel, saying, Jesus will receive you. Do you have that burden? Not just on a Friday or a Saturday, but do you have that burden? And I want to encourage you because Luke finishes in chapter 24 where Jesus now passes the baton off to his followers. The seeking and saving is happening as we lead family devotions, as we share the gospel, as we have people in our house on a Saturday and tell them about their need of Christ. Pray that God would give us a greater burden to see the lost sought and saved by the Savior, Through us, his willing and rejoicing servants. What a way to end! This is the last stop before Jerusalem. And this is the picture Luke leaves us with. I'm rejoicing because I know I'm like a Zacchaeus. No stature jokes. Rejoicing that of all the wretched sinners in in the world, you know, that he would single me out in the crowd. Single me out and say, Ryan, today's the day. That day, all the way back in 2000, when I went to a church, when I was struggling, when I was in university, thinking I would get something from God, I look back and with and I say, I wasn't seeking him. He was seeking me, and he had made me miserable. All the money I thought I would get in dentistry would not satisfy. All of the friends I thought... Meant nothing. If, if you're miserable here this morning, that might be actually the Savior seeking you, causing you to say, This world means nothing to me. I have, an, I have a restlessness that the world can't satisfy. And perhaps that's Jesus seeking you. Would you quit kicking against the goats? As it were, would you invite Him into your house? Would you call upon His name and receive the free salvation He gives? So Jesus loves to dine with sinners. That's what the Lord's table signifies. He's just loved to dine with sinners in his earthly ministry. Oh no, by faith. As expressed in the bread and the wine. juice. Jesus reminds us he loves to eat, to remain, abide, accept, identify with his sinful people. And that it's sheer grace. And so please, don't just eat this thoughtlessly. Remember Zacchaeus with the king of kings eating in his house, receiving him. And as you have, as it were, a sup with the Lord Jesus as we dine with him, oh, that our hearts would rejoice and that we would say, Lord, eating with you is more important than anything else. Behold the half I give. Let's pray. Father, it's been a long sermon, I know. All I can pray is that your son was lifted up. That he was seen as the sufficient savior. As the... the, the great shepherd, that, that, that he expresses your heart most fully towards lost and ruined sinners. And Father, I would just pray that even this morning, there would be rejoicing in heaven because someone in a small backwater town called Diamond City in a province nobody knows about was regenerated and had their sight restored to see Christ as he really is, Lord Messiah, Savior, friend, brother. And I ask, Lord, that we too would have this burden greatly upon us, not as a means to earn your favor, but to declare your grace. And as we partake by faith of the table, may we be reminded of your mercy. Lord, there are people in this world we would never want to be seen with eating. And it's a marvel of marvels. That the spotless, pure one, the righteous one, would so stoop in his love and grace to dine with the sheep he came to save. Lord, restore us and rejuvenate us. Give us grace, Lord. For those who are hurting, would you heal their hearts? For those who are lonely, would you come alongside and remind there is a brother that sticks closer? than anyone else in the world. Help us to leave this place with good news to the chiefest of sinners. Father, we pray in Jesus' name.